Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on a Monday evening, uh, a little bit before 8 o'clock. Joe has not yet left for Detroit, snowy Detroit. I'm here in my home in Bay Village, snowy Bay Village. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Well, I'm okay. Um, You know, dinner was interrupted by the blockbuster Clippers Pistons trade, um, which I think probably has blown up everybody's phone. Yeah. So. You know, but otherwise, uh, getting ready to brave the, the bad roads and nighttime driving. We'll see. Take us behind the scenes. How does that work when your phone blows up with big time news? How does your son handle it, and how does your wife handle it? Well, we were we were at uh, my wife's parents tonight, oh. uh, and dinner was actually we had like dinner was mostly down, so um, it was. It was uh, mostly interrupting, you know, whatever uh, nonsense my son, who's seven, was uh, was telling everybody at that time. So, you know, you can just, I think at this stage, like, you, you've, you've, everyone's learned how to, like, casually check their phones so to not totally disrupt what was going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes with the in-laws, you want to disrupt what is going on. So, you know, uh, <laughs> you go either way, then. Okay. <laughs> I won't put you in the spot and, and ask you which which one you would rather it be. So we'll <laughs> we'll just move on. Um, okay, so you talk about that blockbuster trade that that a lot of people are talking about. Detroit, Los Angeles Clippers. Detroit's getting Blake Griffin. The Clippers are getting Tobias Harris, the big dude at center, um, Avery Bradley, um, and then a first round pick which has some protection on it. When it comes to the Cavs, Joe, is is there any kind of domino effect? How does how does this uh, impact them, if at all? Well, I think it impacts them in a couple ways. I mean, in the very very short term, um, the Clippers, I think, are sending signals that they are uh, that they're that they're open to blowing it all up. Um, you know, I've read the Woj tweet. Um, you know, some of that stuff is uh, you know wording that that GMs would would prefer that he use, um, you know, to kind of soften what, what's going on. I mean, it, it looks like they want to blow this up. When you, when you trade a guy that you just signed to a five-year deal um, as, as the centerpiece of your franchise, um, so you would think that, that they are now uh, going to be listening to offers for DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams. And so the question becomes, you know, do the Cavs have enough? I mean, again, uh, you know, Woj reporting out of out of uh, you know L.A. 
um, that the Clippers are looking for young players and picks. Well, the Cavs don't have young players, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have a pick that everybody wants, um, but I, I, I don't see how either player would be worth that Brooklyn pick. So um, you wonder there. And then the other the other thing is Blake spent four years left on his deal. Um, you know, and he doesn't have, uh, well, I mean, he's he got four years left on his deal. And he's now in the central division. Yeah. That is a major marquee player now that, that that's going to be here. You know, you don't know if LeBron's going to be here beyond this year or whatnot. But um, the Pistons got a big time player now for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, with, who's making a ton of money. So you know that that impacts everybody in the central division. Okay. Do you think I was I was thinking out loud about this now that Avery Bradley's in Los Angeles and and they still have Lou Williams and as you mentioned, Woj talked about. The Clippers are still willing to listen um, when it comes to DeAndre, when it comes to Lou Williams. So, so given that, do you think that Avery Bradley is somebody that they could still potentially flip? Because I know a lot of Cavs fans have brought up Avery Bradley as a tough, rugged defender, somebody who has given Kyrie problems in the past. He's given Golden State problems in the past. Do you think this takes him off the market? Or do you think, look, the Clippers are a team that is clearly willing to do a bunch of different things and maybe that's something they would consider. Yeah, they, they would have to consider it because Bradley's going to be a free agent. Um, and, and yes, um, when you get traded to Los Angeles, now all of a sudden he's going to live there. Um, certainly, if he likes it, which who doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. then he would be interesting in returning if, if the Clippers would have him. But when you're talking about an expiring contract, um, if you feel like you can get different pieces in return, um, then yeah, you know, he is somebody you might flip. I mean, I, I just saw his name that, that he would be eligible to go back to the Celtics. I'm not sure if that would work, but, but, but that he's, uh, you know, no longer prohibited from that. So, so yeah, so I think that Bradley, um, I think the Clippers would, would move Bradley if, if given a chance. Um, I don't know what the Cavs would or, or, or could offer them that would make them want to move him here. I gotcha. Um, Plus, then, uh, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking here on the fly about rules with being traded. Um, how many days before you can be traded again? Is there is there a break? Um, like could they trade him tonight if they wanted to? Uh, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't have any computers on in front of me. I'm on my phone. <laughs> So I don't want to be rude to our listeners and look it up. I don't know. Um, so I actually I don't know the rules on how long that is uh, when you're traded, how long how long that takes before you can be traded again. I'm pretty so. sure it's fair game. I think you can be rerouted at any point. I think I think the thing that um, in most cases is a free agent signing, but but that that isn't in right. play here when you talk about him. Okay. Well then yeah, then then that would be um, then, yeah, yeah, I think he, he's a possibility because of that contract. All right. Um, so when it comes to the Cavs, uh, there's obviously a lot of conversation, Joe, about uh, them being in the market, uh, in, in them being linked to a bunch of different players, and them being, quote-unquote, active when it comes to the trade deadline. Uh, they have won two in a row. Now, one game was against Indiana. The other one was against Detroit, and Detroit is obviously fading. Um, but when you look at the way that they've played and these lineup changes and some of these rotation changes that they made, 
I mean, J.R. Smith was a guy that uh, fans were looking and saying, hey, we need to upgrade that spot, whether it was Kevin Love or whether it was Tristan Thompson, the center getting a rim protector was another thing that fans were looking at. Now that the Cavs have gone back to their old style, one that has been successful for them, and they've got uh, four of their five starters as guys that, that went through this run that the Cavs were on the last couple of years, do you think it changes the approach of the Cavs or um, th- just just how they view their overall roster? That they've won a couple in a row? That Not only that they've won a couple in a row, but, but they feel like some of the issues that they were having, uh, maybe they could have remedied internally with some uh, minor moves, the ones that they've made recently, like moving Tristan Thompson to center and then... Uh, that helping Jr. That helping Kevin. Maybe that helping the rim protection. Maybe that helping the rotation too. So right. I mean, it, it's too small of a sample size, um, and the Pistons are they're on the worst streak currently in the NBA with with uh, losers of eight in a row. Right. So you don't want to necessarily do backflips, but um, but but certainly moving Tristan into the starting lineup through two games, has had a tremendous effect. Um, he, the defensive rating for Kevin Love and Tristan in these two games is like 100. It's like 100.8, hmm. which is way under the Cavs' average for the season, um, way under both players' individual ratings for the season, which they're both terrible. Um, and so, you know, over these last two games, they've both been really good. I think Tristan has a lot to do with that. Um, and, and it just goes back to this idea. I, I, I just don't think that rim protection is their first, uh, priority or, or should be. Okay. Um, certainly not that you would spend big assets on. Gotcha. Um, and then the, I think the, I think the tougher question here, Chris, is what, what do you make of, of JR? Um, because <laughs> we, we watched him for, for, three months, and, and we also watched him for most of the last year basically play like this. Maybe maybe now he's been a little worse, but, but it's been about the same. Yeah. Um, just not shooting it like he used to, doesn't shoot as often, doesn't make threes. Um, I think last year he was a better defender. This year his, his defensive rating's been poor, um, which is which is a result in part of the guys, guys he's playing with that they all think, but... Um, you know, it just it hasn't been the same. And then Tristan comes back, uh, and, and all of a sudden Jr. is eleven of twenty for three. Yeah. In two in two games, and he's um, he's he does seem to um, have a little bit more space because I think teams are paying attention to Tristan on the roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jr. has obviously made some adjustments to how he shoots and when he shoots, and so. The first big trade rumor that you had with the Cavs was they were in talks with the Kings for George Hill, and that was ostensibly so he could come and, and probably be a shooting guard. Yep. Um, and now, I mean, and so that that's the question is: is this the real Jr. Right. If, if Jr. is going to play like this for the rest of the season, then you probably don't make them make the move there either. Um, but but how can you know? I mean, I guess you do still have time before the February 8th deadline. You want to see how long this lasts. I mean, he's not going to shoot 
fifty percent or above from three every night. We understand that, but um, can he be a ten to twelve point scorer? And and does his ability to make some shots make him and everybody else a little bit better defensively? If the two answers are yes, right. then I think that changes the equation a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be glass half empty guy or anything like that. But I do feel like we know who JR is, and I think this is part of JR. And I think the problem with JR is that you have to go through the whole experience, right? You can get the 20 point game, you can get the five to seven three pointer game, and you can get those kinds of stretches. And he's capable of those things. And he's been capable of those things, Joe, for his entire career. But he's also capable of getting lost on defense. Um, and he's probably not the guy that you want next to Isaiah Thomas in a seven-game series when you're talking about defensively. Um, and he's a guy who just as, as much as he can hit five to seven threes in a game, he can take eight and maybe make two. I, I think there's enough of a sample size, even on this team, to say that's that's probably who he is. And the fact that he's made some of these threes in these past couple of games, while that's great, um, odds are that's going to start evening out a little bit over the next two, three, four, five games, or however long it is. He's just always been an inconsistent player throughout his entire career. I mean, that's why he's an average player, right? <laughs> that's why he's not... Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're right, except he's been below average for him for the last year and a half. And, I think and that's so fair. then you start... Yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, he, you know, he has. I mean, shooting percentages, points per game, defense, um, they're pretty down there mm-hmm. compared to where he has been for most of his career. So, you, you know, and, and clearly the Cavs had thought that Jr. Um, that they needed to move off of him. Like you, right. you can't really trade him, but they, they were they were looking for a guy yep. there. Uh, and, and and so um, it, it's more like is he going to be the player he was in 2016? Yeah. Uh, if he is, then then you then maybe you don't need to do that. But but the Cavs had come to a spot where they were ready to upgrade in his position. Yeah, and I I think I'm with them too because let's say let's say Joe he gets back to that average or maybe a little bit above average or that form that he showed uh, when he first came to the Cavs and all of a sudden the Cavs had this athletic catch and shoot wing out there a two way guy and the Cavs were labeling him their, quote, best defensive player. Even if he gets to that level, the dynamics of this team have changed so much around him, and the fact that they don't have Kyrie, um, I think I think when you start asking guys to do a little bit more, you have a tendency maybe to see their flaws exposed a little bit more. And I think because the dynamics have changed around J.R., um, just getting him to a level of average or a little bit above average to me is not good enough for, for the Cavs front office to say, hey, we're not going to explore a guy like Kent Bazemore or Avery Bradley or Wesley Matthews or an upgrade at that spot. Um, so, so if I'm them, I'm still making that my number one priority, a two-way wing. So that's your number one priority above the point guard? Yeah, I think so. And is that purely basketball, or is there? Are you putting yourself in in Kobe's shoes, and you're playing a little politics? Um, because you, you know, <laughs> moving <laughs> off of, of the point guard they have would be uh, quite a move. Would be uh, quite a, I think a, it's a thing to do. Yeah, I think it's 
it's a lot of basketball, and I think it's also a little bit of the reality of the market, right? Um, I'm looking at potential um, point guards that could become available for the Cavs in a trade, and, and the only one that I really come across that that would excite me a little bit from a Cavs perspective is Kemba Walker. Um, and I guess maybe it's me, again, being glass half-empty guy, but I don't know that they have the means to go out and actually get a, get a deal done for Kemba because um, according to the reports that are coming out of Charlotte and, and what owner Michael Jordan said is that he's uh-huh. looking for an all-star caliber player in return for Kemba. And I look up and down the roster, and I know that Isaiah has that label in the past, and I know that he was great in Boston last year, but I don't think that the rest of the NBA views him that same way. So so I don't know what player it is that the Cavs could actually use in order to get a guy like Kemba. And then yeah. if if you cross him off the list, I mean, where do you go for a point guard? I just don't see a lot of options out there. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that um, it would be Charlotte if, if you were going to look look that way. Right. Um, it, <laughs> Isaiah insists that he will uh, get back to where he was, and that it'll happen this year. He'll get on the team, you know, things will, will click here. Um, I mean, what a crucial year for, for that to be the case with LeBron heading into free agency. Yeah. Um, they look a little better overall. Um, there are some challenges. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that what is incumbent upon all people involved is this, is that it's incumbent for Isaiah to work as hard as he can to get as close to what he was mm-hmm. at, uh, as quickly as possible. It's also incumbent upon him to fit his game uh, around LeBron. Yep. And Isaiah needs to understand that he isn't right now the player that he was. Yep. And this team needs a point guard, and the team has a 27-point-per-game score on, on, out there, uh, and also a 20-point-per-game score. And so, I, I, I mean, you know, I understand Isaiah's a scorer, too. I know that's what he does. Um, but until he can get to the spots in the floor where he can get and make those shots, he's got to form his game a little bit more to what else is going on. Um, it's also incumbent upon Ty to get to do away with egos and play the players that are going to help Isaiah the most. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to happen. And, you know, the one thing that Ty did, which shocked a lot of people, I think, including Isaiah, was not play him in the fourth quarter last night. I mean, that was, that was really something, and it showed, um, you know, I mean, obviously it probably had to send shivers down Isaiah's spine. I mean, they gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter with, with him not out there. Yep. Um, you know, it's only one game, of course, that's happened to Kevin a bunch of times in his career here. It's hard to swallow. Um, but Ty's, Ty's got to do that. And it's, it's not just benching Isaiah because that's, at those nights when they're going to need him to score for her. So that's not it, uh, the, the, the only thing. But he's, he's got to play the shooting guard who he feels best helps make up for Isaiah's defensive efficiencies. Um, and then I think probably the hardest job is the, uh, is the front office 
trying to make a move um, to make this team better. And, yeah. and I don't know if the assets in there. Especially because the thing that Isaiah needs, and I think the thing that Ty needs and the Cavs need, they need time. They need time to figure out some of these things that you were talking about because I think they went into it knowing that there were going to be complications. I mean, it took LeBron and Kyrie about a year because of just their styles. And now you're talking about the trade deadline is February 8th. So by that point, you have what? 16 to 18 games of evidence of Isaiah with LeBron and whether or not it can work. And you just don't have a lot of answers at that point. Yeah. Yeah, you really don't. Um, You know, when you think back to the Kyrie-LeBron stuff, um, you you could say, well, they had a whole year. Mm -hmm. And, and, And I guess that's true, but LeBron wasn't himself uh, for like the first two months here of that first year. And yeah, there was practice time. Yes, they had games, but LeBron was, was banged up after a while and he hated David Blatt. He didn't want to be here. And right. so he just took, he took two weeks off. He just, he just left, you know, uh, to get his mind right and, and, and his body right. And when he came back, like he and Kyrie were, were instantly, um, unstoppable, basically. And the Cavs won a million in a row, and they shot up the standings. They went all the way to second, and of course, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so while every, while the timeline here appears truncated and looks like they're in real danger of not having enough time to do this, um, that, that's actually probably not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, like so long as Isaiah is, has that bounce in his step come March. Um, they can really do some work there and, and be okay. I mean, Isaiah's been in this league a long time. You know, LeBron is, is the best we've got out there. So it, it's still, it's not impossible. Um, I just, I think people should keep that in mind. I just think it's also fair. What we see now, it's hard to envision that that's feasible in the later rounds of the playoffs just because you can't be this bad defensively and win. You can't. Yep, I'm with you. You ready for questions here? Yeah, let's do it. We've got a bunch of them on Twitter. Hey, you guys, uh, this one comes from Tim. This is a two-part question, so we'll take it in parts. Cavs D has been pretty poor ever since Mike Longbardi was hired. Does he ever catch heat for the defense with more uh, conservative defensive schemes? Would that work better for this team? That's the first part of the question. Yeah, so so Mike does catch three. Um he does, I mean, players do complain, uh, they do, um, they are, they do recognize that the regular season defensive numbers have not been good since Ty became the head coach, which meant that, uh, he hired Longobardi to call the defense. Um, Ty also steadfastly supports Mike, uh, rejects out of hand these complaints, says they have already uh, simplified it. Right. Uh, it's, it's not the coverages, it's the effort, is what Ty says. So, then that's the, that's, and, and Ty, uh, will not fire any member of the staff. That's just, that's not going to happen. Second part of the question, and this is kind of tongue in cheek, but I feel like there's some truth to it. He says, finally, is Channing now as untouchable as the Brooklyn pick for the Cavs? Obviously not going that far, Joe, but has Channing and, and the way that he has impacted this team every single time he's been on the court, 
Um, okay. And you can talk about that stretch that they went on and how easy the schedule was and maybe catching lightning in a bottle. But but every time he has played, it seems like they are a better team, both offensively and defensively. So given his impact, um, do you think there's any part of the Cavs that would reconsider putting him in a deal? Uh, no, unless they thought they could move Crowder. Um, hmm. If they could, if they could move Crowder, maybe. But then again, whatever they got back for Jay is probably who would play anyway. Gotcha. So no, you um, you have to move Channing. Um, he's got an expiring contract. Uh, if if you if you're trying to upgrade the roster, um, then then yeah, then then you have to do it because you just have shown uh, you've proven that you do that you are not going. to play him over these other players who are on this team. You know, Dwayne comes back Tuesday against the Pistons. There's almost no way that Ty is going to play Channing unless he takes significant time away from Jay Crowder, who they traded Kyrie Irving for. So I I just don't see it. I mean, he can't sit Dwayne. Dwayne's a Hall of Famer. Uh, He's LeBron's best friend. He's not going to sit Corver. That's the only three-point shooter they have. He's not going to sit Jeff Green. Jeff Green's one of his favorite guys. Right. You know, he, he plays great off the bench. Um, and so then that, that's, uh, that's Crowder. And then who's the 10th guy with Derek Rose? Probably. Yeah, I mean, Ty is majorly responsible for Derek Rose being here. So... I mean, I, I guess he could. I guess he could leave Derrick Rose on the bench and play Channing, mm-hmm. um, but it just he has not shown interest in doing that. I thought what Ty said um, in the post game after uh, the win against Detroit was was somewhat telling, and he basically said it's going to be a matchup thing, and I feel like it's going to depend on the team that they're playing against whether it's going to be Rose getting some minutes or Channing getting some minutes, like if. If the Cavs feel like they can get away with a lineup um, without using Derrick Rose as that, that second point guard or however they want to phrase it because they feel Dwayne can handle that responsibility or they stagger LeBron in IT and their minutes or they feel like they can get LeBron to handle that role in certain matchups, then I think Rose is going to be on the bench for that night and Channing's probably going to be the 10th guy. Um, and then I think there are other matchups where, where Ty feels like he needs more of a traditional point guard in Derek, and he needs somebody to push the pace and get into the teeth of the defense and create shots at the rim and things like that. And in those cases, Channing's probably going to be on the bench. I, I feel like it's kind of a swing spot at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hope um, for Channing's sake and the team's sake that at minimum Ty can get to that point where he plays he does it based on matchups. Um, we haven't seen that. No. When 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 Ty has had his full complement of players, Channing doesn't play. Right. That's that's just who it's been. And uh, I guess you know because the Cavs have had nicks and bruises and and strange situations at the bottom of the roster, Channing has gotten enough of, of an opportunity and played so well in it that it that it's fairly easy to make a case that he's making some positive impact virtually every time he's out there. Yeah. Uh, so that's where you come to this, but I just, um, I, it hasn't happened yet. 
I was thinking about this the other day, Joe, just trying to rank some of the assets that the Cavs have, the ones that they'd be willing to give up. I mean, Channing's near the top of that list, right? Not necessarily because he's a great player and all these other teams around the NBA are starving for a stretch five. But but in this market, it seems like there are lots of teams that are looking for expiring contracts to get under the luxury tax or to free up some cap space for the summer. In terms of the things that the Cavs are willing to give up, it's probably the Brooklyn pick number one, the Cavs, their own first round pick number two, and then Channing's right around there, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that he'd be gone um, if, if there was more interest in him in that way. Uh, because they've been looking for upgrades, and and they don't play him. Yeah. So, so I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if that's true. Um, well, that's not a good sign of the Cavs' potential of making a deal, then, <laughs> because of the limited assets that they have. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, that that's right. And, you know, I, I hate to say, to use the terminology I used earlier, I say they have to move Channing. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they don't have to, but it's just, if they are trying to make a trade to to upgrade the roster and um, you're trying to think of what the assets are, in part, I think he's wanted because of all the things you're saying. And then again, it just comes back to they, they don't use them. Yeah. So, you know, they either have to create a space, a spot to use him, which means trading somebody else, or you use him to get a player that's actually going to knock somebody else out of your rotation, too. Next one, from LBJ. Is there any chance IT gets traded? I, th- I mean, the, the answer is yes. Um, he, he is not, he is not off, off limits as far as the Cavs are concerned. Um, for all the reasons that we, we went over earlier in this podcast, it's, it's probably not likely. Um, but he does have an expiring contract. Um, the Cavs may have internally decided that he's not going to get, he's not going to cut it this year. Um, and, and in those two scenarios, then you try to find a trade partner. Mm-hmm. Um, it, outwardly, the Cavs certainly don't say that. Um, obviously, they traded for him, and Dan appears to be in, like like IT and may be interested in keeping him here long term. The Cavs can pay him more money than anyone else. They have his bird rights, um, and he has told Isaiah has told me on numerous occasions that he loves it here. Mm. Um, that that was before he lit the locker room on fire last week. <laughs> but um, you know, he so the. I mean, he, he may be their answer. He may be in their long-term plan. Along those lines, from Chris, he says, are the players annoyed with Isaiah? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, at, at some level. And it's, and it's not, um, part of it is attitude, and, and part of it is Isaiah having been for 10 minutes um, and, you know, essentially, uh, I don't want to say throwing his weight around. Uh, but it's more like, I mean, it's just like maybe trying to take on a role as though this is in part his team when he's, you know, he just hasn't been here very long. So so there's that. And then there's the other thing is the players do understand who he is. They understand, like, what he does. He's a, he's a volume shooter. And they know that, that he has to, um, that, that if he's not here shooting the ball, what's he here for? 
So they're, they're okay at some level with him playing the way that he normally plays. But where it's hurting them and, and upsetting them is that he's playing that way, but he doesn't have the leg to do it. Right. And so um, that's taking away their shots and hurting their defense because he's trying to play um, a certain way that he's not ready for yet. And that's also part of the frustration. From Sean, is there even a point to play Channing and Tristan throughout the regular season when we already know they are ineffective against the Warriors? I think Kevin should move back to the five to continue to gain experience there. Well, uh, you know, Chris Fedor agrees with you, for one. (laughs) Um, But as I've said, uh, they couldn't do the lineup that they were trotting out there the first eight games of Isaiah's return. Yeah. They, they, they can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you might tell me that that is the ultimate lineup that they play against the Warriors, um, and that, that's fine, but I'll tell you this, they were not getting to the Warriors with that five out there. Nope. Uh, and, and, and they got to get there first. And so um, this is not, like, this isn't rocket science. This isn't that they don't need to be playing together now to be able to play together um, come June. Uh, There's still like given that they have experience together already. Kevin's mm-hmm. played at the five for half a year. There's plenty of time week between the finals to make that switch and get people on the same page if they feel like they need to. Um, they needed to do something right now yeah. to change things uh, for the better, and I thought that, I think they did that. I think you're right. I think one thing that Ty has shown, Joe, in the past is that um, he has a pulse of his team and what his team needs. And I felt like, given the fact that there was a team meeting and there was a lot of frustration and there wasn't a lot of communication, there was a lack of trust, and just everything that was building behind the scenes in that locker room, I think Ty looked at it, and rightfully so, and said, we need wins. Whether it benefits us in the long term or not, whether these are lineups that we're going to use in the postseason or not, we need short-term gains to get ourselves out of this. We need something to bring joy back, smiles back, and wins are something that we need right now. So if we have to go back to what worked last year or the year before, if we have to go back to what's familiar just so that we can get those short-term gains, then so be it. And I felt like that was a team that was calling out for some kind of change. Um, And I think it makes sense because of all of the bad things that were going on with the team to play Channing, to put Tristan Thompson at the five, because they needed that in the short term. Yeah, you're right, and and I also at the same time, I guess we got to give Ty credit for sticking with Jr. because I would have moved on from Jr. I'm with you. Um, I, I I would have played Jeff Green at the two. Um, my my rationale was Jr. wasn't stretching the floor anyway. Jeff Green is so long; he can make up for some of Isaiah's liabilities, and he and Jeff Jeff plays with pace, which is what Ty wants, and so that's what I would have done. Um, but he stuck with JR, and JR's been great these last two games, Tristan, so we'll see. From Jordan, he says, What about Dwight Howard as a trade target? He's having a great year. The Hornets want to sell, probably cheaper than DeAndre Jordan. He can give you that rebounding and the rim protection. No, no, yeah, I'm thank you. So out on that one. Could you imagine? 
Could you imagine him in that locker room? Oh boy, on this team. <laughs> I, I I would prefer not to. I feel like Dwight's the kind of guy that fan bases want until he's actually there playing for that fa- for that fan base, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy has so many warts, he's got so many issues, there's so much drama that surrounds him, and he's just not worth it because of what he gives you on the court is not enough to have to deal with all the stuff that you have to deal with when he's on your roster. I'm telling you guys, rim, rim protection should not be the main thing. I'm with you. Main thing, the main thing is finding enough players that are fast enough and skilled enough to run around with all the skilled, fast guys that the Warriors have. Yep. That, that's the idea. If you can find those guys, go get them. If you right. can't, then, you know, you, you kind of have, like, you have some of those guys on your roster, you just have to figure out how to play them. You know why rim protection has been such a big deal for the Cavs over the last couple of years? Because you either had Kyrie Irving at the point of attack, or now you have Isaiah Thomas at the point of attack. You know who doesn't talk about rim protection? Teams that have great players at the point of attack, where it's like your defense doesn't break down on the perimeter, so you need protection. That's right. That's right. And also, by the way, Kyrie is now playing much better defensively in Boston, which is... That you know, that's a different story. But, um, all right, well, that was good stuff. Uh, it's time for me to hit the road, literally. 